This morning, uh, we're wrapping up our series on experiencing God where love and law meet. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we've studied through some tough things here in the Beatitudes and, and the things that have followed um, as we've unwrapped the Sermon on the Mount. I want to tell you today, I've called this uh, subtitle to the sermon is Judgment. Um, as we've looked at this series, it's kind of like a courtroom, and last week was kind of some of the deliberations and litigations and stuff, and, and when all that gets wrapped up in a courtroom setting, there's time for the judgment. And that's what we're going to talk about today, um, is, is judgment. As we compare the law of the Sermon on the Mount with the love that Christ brought with him, and uh, we're going to talk about things like retaliation and enemies and how we should love them. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound like judgment to me. Uh, you see, judgment, this is the part where everyone should get what's coming to them. This is where an eye for an eye and, and, and all that stuff from the Old Testament comes in and gets real. The problem with judgment is that we think we're the judge. We think that we get to decide the fate of those who have hurt us or wronged us. And the reason that we don't get to be the judge is because judgment has the ability to allow people like us to hate. See, that, that's why when, when we go to court, Sometimes something happens, maybe you've been wronged or, or something has happened, and so you go before the judge. The judge is the mediator. He's a non-biased. He doesn't know you or the person that you're upset with. He doesn't know either of you personally or shouldn't. And then he listens to both sides, and then he examines what's going on. There are no emotions with his judgment. It's just upholding the law. You see, if it were up to us, I think we'd still be on that Old West lynch mob mentality of hang them high, they just offended me for something, and we'd chase them down. Because even though we like to be the judge, we weren't meant to judge. Because if we're honest, when we judge, we judge out of hate. I don't think any of us can say that we've judged out of love or, or wisdom to a situation. And here's the problem with, with that kind of a situation. Hate. Hate is a very big, very hungry thing. It has lots of sharp teeth. It will eat up your whole heart and there will be no room left for the love that we need. And we're lucky that our God understands this about us. And he tries to protect us from the hate that comes with judgment. It amazes me that our God sees the destruction of judgment and the retaliation that we want with judgment. And he wants to protect us from that. So he sits down. On a mountain, he begins to speak. And today we're going to pick up in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5 and see what he has to say. Will you pray with me? Father God, we, we come here to look at this, this outline of, of retaliation, of how we should act when someone hurts us or offends us or, or wrongs us. And that's happened to every one of us in this room. So I pray today as we look at your word, as we listen to what your son has said, that we'll know that it's, it's relevant for today. We'll know that it's something we can use and, and put into our daily lives. Not just listen to and walk away from, but listen to and allow it to, to mold us and shape us and change us to be different than, than how we were earlier this morning. So I pray as we open your word that we, we open our minds, we open our hearts, we make ourselves available for a life application, for a life change if need be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we pick up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. 
But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but the earthly side of me likes this whole eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth part better than the turn the other cheek part or the give him your cloak and your tunic part or the whole if someone asks you to walk a mile, walk two. What does that even mean? Well, here's the thing. In, in that day, Roman soldiers were everywhere. Rome was, was in control. And they walked wherever they went. And they could make you, as a citizen, carry their gear. But you weren't required to carry it farther than a mile. And so Jesus says, hey, if, you're, if they ask you to carry their stuff for a mile, carry it two miles. Which means by the time you walk back home... You've walked four miles and you still get to go back to work in your field or with your animals or whatever it is you were doing around your house. But see, he, he warms us up with the physical things and then he smacks us with the spiritual. Think about this for a minute. Picture yourself on this hill, on this mountain. You're hearing this for the first time. And maybe you're thinking, okay, turn the other cheek. Check. Got it. I can do that. I can be bigger than that. Walk another mile. Check. Got it. I'm going to make Jesus proud one day. I'm going, to, I'm going to walk that extra mile when the time comes. Give my cloak and my tunic. Check. That was easy. Besides, I have two more. <laughs> Give to those who ask. Check. We've had a good crop this season. We can share. And then out of nowhere, verse 43 comes in and Jesus said, I'm sure he didn't call it verse 43 then. He just, <laughs> he just continued and he said, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Got it. Check. I'm on a roll. I can do this. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? I was just doing good. I was checking all those off. And then you say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Uncheck. Is he serious? If you've ever wondered why people may have refused to follow Jesus during his ministry on earth, I think hearing some of the things that he has said in the Sermon on the Mount, and especially right in here, was probably a good enough reason for some people. To be like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this. He asks too much. Turn the other cheek. Walk two miles. Give them your tunic and your cloak. Love your enemy. Pray for them. The problem is that in our day, we've watered down the word enemy. I think we've watered it down so much that, that, that really when we look at what Christ said here, this command, it's lost a lot of its shock value because we use the word enemy to refer to pretty much anybody who just maybe doesn't agree with us or has treated us poorly or roots for the opposite football or sports team that we root for. Oh, the enemy. Stay away. We've even, we've even made the term enemy more fun by using it and changing it to, to what we call frenemy. We can be frenemies because we, we kind of hang out, but ah, you guys don't like the University of Miami like I do, so we're frenemies. 
It's, it's what we do. But in Jesus' day, when he's speaking these words, you have to understand the Jews in Israel, they had real enemies. For pretty much their whole existence, they had enemies. As a people, they've been fending off enemies for years. From their slavery in Egypt to their current state where the Roman Empire is now occupying the territory. And here's Jesus saying, love your enemies and pray for them. Folks, most of their enemies tried to kill them. They didn't disagree about football or soccer or band or a favorite music group or hymns or choruses or anything like that that was substantial. They were actually trying to kill them. And Jesus says, love your enemy. Pray for them. I thought, well, what would that be like for us today? And it kind of dawned on me. That would be a lot like Jesus telling the Christians in Iraq to love and pray for ISIS right now. Surely he wouldn't say and mean something like that today, would he? He would and he did. That's, that's exactly what he was saying and that's exactly what he meant. You see, when Jesus gave this command to love and pray for our enemies, he knew that one day it would require us to pray for groups of people like ISIS. He also knows that our true enemies are the ones who attack his bride, the church, not just the people that disagree with us at work or school or in the community. And he is saying, when we think of these people, when we think of anyone who has wronged us or seems to be our enemy, that we are to no longer see them as our enemies, but we are to love them. How do we do that? John MacArthur says this, We are not to be enemies of those who may be enemies to us. From their perspective, we are their enemies. But from our perspective, they should be our neighbors and we should treat them as such. Again, I say, well, how do we do that? Jesus says we should pray for our enemies. But how do we pray for these, these neighbors who want to murder members of our family? How do we pray for people who want to see us fail at work? How, how do we pray for people who want to do harm to us or who want to make our lives miserable every day, whether it's somebody at work or at school? I mean, how do we pray for them and mean it? How, how do we love them and mean it? It's hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, there's a movie. It's been out for a while. It's called Amish Grace. And in this movie, several Amish schoolgirls are killed by someone they know. And then he kills himself. And, and a couple of these schoolgirls survive I want to show you a clip from this movie here in just a second. But what you're about to see takes place after some of the elders from the Amish village and one of the fathers of a girl who was murdered, they stop by to check on the wife of the man who killed their little girls. And they tell her that they're sorry for her loss and, and that it saddens them to know that she no longer has a husband and that her, her little boys and their baby no longer has a father. And, and they also tell her, they say, hey, we know you've got a rough road ahead of you. But we want you to know there's no judgment from us. And, and we forgive your husband for what he has done. And they, they go on to tell her, if you need anything, we're your neighbors. If you need anything, you let us know. They did this like the day after the shooting. Okay? Watch the reaction uh, to the news reporters that, that found out this happened. We came to tell Mrs. Roberts that we carry no grudge against her husband. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. How to frame it? I mean, how do you forgive someone who did something like that? I have two nieces. There's no way I could... I raised three girls, and I... Do you think he was being on the level? They went into the house. They talked to the wife. Why would they do that if they weren't serious about it? All right. We'll run the clip. 
No commentary. We'll let people make up their own minds. But tomorrow I want the both of you out there again, talking with the Amish. Find out if this is just a deacon doing his job or if the families who lost children really buy into all that forgiveness stuff. He said, find out if it's just a deacon doing his job or if the families that lost their children really do buy into all this forgiveness stuff. You know, later in the movie, uh, the female reporter, she, she has a chance to talk with that same guy kind of privately and she asks him, if he really meant it when they offered forgiveness. And this was his response. And I think it's one that we should remember often. He said, forgiveness should come from an open heart and it should come without condition. Or true forgiveness does not come at all. And if that happens, we are just puppets to our faith. If we can't offer true forgiveness, we're just puppets. We're just going through the motions of our faith. Again, I ask, but how do we do that? How do we forgive when someone has levied an attack on us on social media? Or when we know that someone has stolen from us? Or, or worse yet, when we know that someone has stolen from the church or taken advantage of the church? When we know that something has been done to us or about us with the intent to bring harm or bring us down to tarnish our reputation, how should we pray for these people? How should we address these enemies or frenemies? When we know they're engaged in persecuting us, why should we pray and love them? Well, if we don't, we're worse than puppets to our faith. There's another scene in the movie, Amish Grace, where one of the little girls who survived the shooting, as she was physically able, uh, she asked to speak to the parents of the oldest girl. Her name was Mary Beth, uh, that was murdered. And um, as the parents went to see her in the hospital, she said to them, she goes, you need to understand something. The, the shooter told us he was taking revenge on God because he had lost his little girl. He said the girl should pray for him. And the oldest one, her name was Mary Beth, she was like 14. She said, I will pray for you. And she was praying for the man who shot her. She was forgiving him for what he was doing while he was doing it. The older girl's mother had been struggling with her faith and with, and with forgiveness. And was it real for her? And, and how could she forgive this woman and, and all the stuff that was going on? And how can she pray for her enemy? And when she heard that her daughter had prayed face to face with her killer and forgave him for what he was doing, she said to her husband and to the woman whose husband did all the killing, she said, how can I do any less than what my daughter did? Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When we pray for our enemies, something happens. And usually what happens, happens to us first. Let me share it with you like this. I had a professor in Bible college. His name was Glenn Bourne. And when he taught us about this particular scripture as we were going through the harmony of the gospels, and he said, if you have an issue with someone, or someone has an issue with you and there's animosity between you, pray for them. He said, do it for 30 days. He said, because the thing is, your prayers for that person will change and so will your heart for that person. Because the reality is you cannot earnestly pray for someone that you don't like. He said, you may start off asking God to change that person and, and change their evil thoughts or their heart or their attitude or whatever the case is. He says, but if you keep up earnestly praying for your enemy you will realize and notice the change in your heart for this person. You, you will begin to love your enemy. Now, that doesn't mean this person is changing too. But as a Christian, we have to follow Christ's command. And when he says to pray for your enemy, to love your enemies and to pray for them, 
It may not change them, but it will change you. Verse 45, why? Why does he want us to pray for our enemies anyways? And in verse 45, he says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. It's easy to love the people that you're sitting beside right now. You're sitting beside them because you already like them most of the time. I understand it's family Sunday, so sometimes you're like, hey, I don't know. But we do. It's easy to like and love the people that, that we're with right now. He says, if you, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me tell you this also. This is the same Jesus who, as he was hanging on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. This is the same Jesus who told many people to simply go and sin no more. When, when he could have judged, when he could have rebuked, when he could have done a lot of things, he said, go and sin no more. He said, Father, forgive them. We, we say, he, you know, and I believe he could have called 10,000 angels to be at his side and to defend him while he was hanging on the cross. But instead, he called out to God and asked forgiveness for the people that had put him there. He knew what he was saying when he said, then and now, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If we're to follow this example, if we're to be his reflection here on earth, how can we do anything other than what he asks us to do? I want you to know, sometimes persecution even comes from other Christians. Sometimes it happens in churches. Sometimes it happens even in this church. If you're a visitor and a guest, I just want you to know it happens very seldom, but sometimes it it happens, okay? Because we're family, and that's what we do. We frustrate each other. And sometimes being in leadership in a church is like wearing a giant target on your back. Everywhere you go, elders and deacons and ministry staff, you know, sometimes the favorite target of a flaming arrow from the congregation is one of those people that I just mentioned. I want you to know that when those things happen around here, we start off our retaliation in prayer. We, we come to each other and we go, hey, we need to have a better understanding of this situation and we need to pray about it. We ask for wisdom. We ask for the strength to take the face off of the situation. We ask for strength to restore the situation and the person or the people who are broken. We ask for protection for our family so they don't have to endure or harbor the ugliness that may be happening around them during something like that. We ask for forgiveness for ourselves and our own hearts for these situations so that we can be a reflection, so that we can be something that leads us through this situation where sometimes it just gets ugly. It's not always easy turning the other cheek or walking the extra mile. It's not always easy praying for your enemies or giving above and beyond what you've asked for, what you've been asked for. But sometimes it's what we have to do. Jesus asked us to go above and beyond what everyone else around us does. He asked us to be perfect. Verse 48 says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know about you guys, but perfection is one of those things that's just not in me. I'll make mistakes. I will fail. I will offend even when I don't mean to. But when I do, I go back to my restorer. And when I've been wronged or accused of something or gossiped about, I have to remind myself that these are not the actions of my enemy. They're the actions of a failed person just like me. And I turn the other cheek. 
I offer up my cloak and my tunic. I walk the extra mile. I pray for my enemies, not because I'm perfect, but because I'm far from perfection. But what I would like to know is that someone is doing those things for me. Even when I may be less than average towards them. How about you? As we come to our response time this morning, it's time to offer up forgiveness instead of judgment. It's time for us to turn the other cheek. It's time for us to give deeper, to walk the extra mile. It's time for us to start praying for our enemies and start loving them and letting them know that, yeah, we may not be happy about what you're doing, but I want you to know I care about you. It's time. Maybe for you, you need to be forgiven yourself in order to do that. And you need to come and confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and make Him your Lord and Savior. And start, start fresh with baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once you've done this, then you can begin to freely forgive as well. Maybe it's time to repent. It's time to rededicate yourself to Christ. Or maybe you just need some encouragement through prayer and accountability for whatever it is you're going through and trying to deal with your enemies or love those who are persecuting you. The elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. We even have a private place you can go and do just that. Maybe you're ready to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church as we, as we attempt to go the extra mile in our community. Whatever your response is today, please, will you stand and sing with us and respond to God's word? <clears throat>